Hey everybody, this is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with Dan, um, who's a fellow podcaster. And we are going to talk about observations about America and the world and podcasting. And I like to call it the uh, communication revolution we live in. So how are you doing this evening, Dan? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So... If if we had to go into the future and, and tell the folks in the future, what do you think the most defining moment, like what defines the American moment right now? Mm, what a good question. Man, you're starting off right with the left hook there. Um, <laughs> I think, I tell you what, I don't like it that this is the answer, but I think it's going to be COVID. Um, I think... Whether it is whether they look back at this in the future and say that we were too afraid, or whether they look back uh, from the future and and tell us that we could have saved thousands of lives if we had only done something better, or you know, whichever side of the spectrum we're on, I think that's going to be part of the defining moment for our generation um, uh, into the future. Uh, I think there's a good chance for America that there's going to be racial inequality come up as well into the future. Uh, they're going to look back and, and wonder why we handled things the way we did, I think. But I think it's going to come down to COVID and then probably uh, the racial issues as a second. I think I think you're absolutely right. But I also think the thing that strikes me about the world that we live in, if we can call it post-COVID, I don't know. I don't even know if we can say post-COVID yet because more people died from COVID this year than last year. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're post in that you should, you, there is a vaccine available. If you want to wear a mask, people know to wear masks. You know, if you corner even conservative, um, Medical folks who know what they're talking about, they'll all tell you know any medical person at all who knows what really what they're talking about will tell you that the mask the masking does work. Um, so you know we have a way forward, basically. Um, but I think the thing that strikes me about COVID, the thing that strikes me about this world of COVID is that we didn't invent not one single thing as far as the technology to get us through uh, to have help us do work from home or to help us do school from home or, you know, whatever. That that was pre-existing stuff. Mm -hmm. That to me is striking. Yeah, I think it brought it. I brought some technologies. To, it it brought some technologies to the forefront, I think. Uh, but a lot of these things, you know, we were already doing video conferencing and and whatnot. I mean, even podcasting was already around. It just, uh, you know, found new footing, I think, when when COVID struck like it did. Yeah. It's funny that so many people started a podcast, but podcast listenership has actually gone down, they say. Yeah, I think that's because, uh, well, and I started in the pandemic as well uh i i thought i'd do it for a couple of weeks and then i well i honestly kind of thought COVID wouldn't be a thing for very long so i was just going to do a little project and that was 
you know, I, my project's still going. So I guess that tells you something there, but, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, I think the fact that there aren't, or there haven't been as many people driving every day, they're just not listening to podcasts as much. Right. Or it could just be that, you know, people are all learned out. <laughs> well, that's a part of it too. Probably you're right. Yeah. Right. So, um, why don't you tell us about your project? Uh, yeah. So I, I love science fiction. Uh, I like fantasy, but I love science fiction and I got to know some science fiction authors on Twitter. I've, I, I'm an aspiring novelist myself. And so I got to know some of these folks and it just struck me one day uh, after listening to a podcast uh, for novelists saying that one way to build a platform is to start a podcast. And I'm like, huh, well, I've suddenly got a whole bunch of time on my hands, so let me give it a go. And I reached out to a lot of these authors that I had befriended on Twitter anyway. And and to my pleasant surprise, several of them agreed to come on. And so we started doing interviews and I, uh, I don't do very many solo episodes. People don't really care what I think. I don't think as much, but, um, but I do a lot of interviews and I've had a lot of people on and, uh, several for repeat performances. And we just talk about world building, character development. Uh, we talk about books, of course. Uh, we talk about their writing styles, things of that nature. It's, it's, uh, kind of whatever, we can get in there to teach people how to write better, to introduce people to books, uh, things like that. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. My own personal podcast origin story has to do with, uh, I, uh, I went to the doctor, um, before COVID or before, not before COVID, but like in October, of 19 October November of 19 I think um and the nurse there there was a nurse and she was all you know very concerned about COVID because I don't know if you remember but in the early early days of COVID people really thought well this is going to be the black death or whatever or some people did not others but some right and she was definitely one of those people okay she she was definitely thinking this was going to be the Black Death. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I've always wanted to do a podcast. Um, maybe, <laughs> I could do a, maybe I could do a history deep dive on the Spanish flu, which is oh, something yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd heard about in school. So I studied up, I studied up on it, and I did a really, a really in-depth deep dive into sort of the world of, of, uh, you know, from about 1870 to 1920-something, 1930. But so that world. And I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, at one point, I was the fastest-growing independent podcast there was. Um I still rank, you know, in the top, I think, 200 or so regularly in different countries uh, with it. But I really enjoyed it. Man, but the thing, I, the thing I noticed was 
when you go on to a podcast and you start promoting your podcast on other people's shows, the thing you notice when I would download the episode would be like we would talk and and we would say things. And I was like, that's the story I need to tell. Is the story we're telling now. Yeah. Because this is insane. Like you would I would hear stories that were just like <laughs> crazy. Like literally like not not something most people should ever have to experience. Right, right. Like not something people would just Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, there was somebody who said, you know, all my business partners are in are in a coma and I have to take care of their kids. Things like that. <laughs> yeah, you you'd be as surprised or amazed, I guess, at how quickly someone uh bears their soul, I guess. Uh you know, they need to get it out anyway, and then you provide them an opportunity to do so and and I think people take advantage of it. And yeah. and for good reasons. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So uh Dan, um what how did your notion of COVID evolve? Like how did it Well, I was on a business trip um overseas as it was kind of breaking in the States and I I I was just like I just don't think this is that big of a deal. I don't really understand why everyone's up in arms over this. Um, and then they handed me a mask and I, and I saw a line to buy masks at stores. Uh, and then I came back to the, to the San Diego where I was living at the time. And then within a few weeks, I think California pretty much shut down. And so, you know, even for those first several weeks, even as we watched news report after news report and the numbers kept climbing, I just kept thinking, I just can't believe this is really that big of a deal. Um, and so I think the evolution of my uh, belief surrounding COVID is a admittedly slow dawning of uh, the seriousness of it. Not that I have gone full tilt. Uh, I'm, I'm still not, you know, wearing a mask everywhere I go and, you know, and whatnot. But I have had COVID. Uh, I, I got it while I was on uh, deployment. Uh, you know, I've, I've had to deal with it. It's, I did not have a severe case of it. I'm very grateful for that. Um, I am, uh, I guess, uh, at the edge of my immunity from having COVID. Uh, I'm, I'm past my 90 day mark. Um, but I would say that my, the evolution of how I understand COVID is gone from uh, not knowing why people are worried about it to uh, realizing that it's something to take serious um, but not something to, uh, I don't know, not, I don't want to fear this thing. I want to deal with it. So, um, so I guess that's where I'm at. I don't know if that really tells you a good answer or not. Well, it does because I can situate that answer with the other answers. I mean, I could situate it, you know, there's a spectrum, there's the spectrum of, um, believe it or not. Most people, I don't know, the the media, and I'm not one of these people that loves to use the term the media, right? But the media uh, loves to paint a picture of uh, people are divided about COVID. And yeah, sure, okay, you have people that 
are <laughs> anti-vax and they don't think it's real. But by far, most people have a vaccine that, that can help it, you know. Yeah, I think there are a whole lot of realistic people out there. And, uh, you know, no one's yeah. – the people who need to get numbers and stories and whatnot are going to focus on one side or the other, I think, probably. Mm-hmm. But but there's a whole lot of people who just – they're pretty smart. And they do the things they're supposed to do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, I mean – I certainly had my uh, opinions of uh, the vaccine mandates, etc. shift through talking to so many people all over the planet. Um, Like, in some countries, they'll literally arrest you and force you to stay in your house. And, like, even if you don't have COVID, just just, you want to go to the store or whatever. And, you know, the thing about, I think, I forget what, which country it is, but one of these Western countries has this really, like, any little variant of COVID is just like this. We have to put all the people in the houses and, no, no, just wear a mask. You yeah, know, it really does. It does cut down. I mean, there's there's just some realistic things we can do and we do the right thing and we move on. Exactly. Yeah. So you were talking about, uh, you said the other issue you thought was race relations. What, how do you mean race relations? Well, I think, and and I I want to be really careful about how I talk just because, uh, you know, I want to treat it delicately like it deserves it. But I think, you know, we've, we just had recently a conclusion to yet another trial, um, for a situation that, you know, in, uh, let's see, Milwaukee, uh, that trial just, uh, wrapped up about a week ago or so, two weeks ago, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the Minnesota cop got sentenced, uh, what a month or two ago. Um, you know, the things that caused the riots last summer, Uh I think are fine. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that Uh, a couple months ago that he got sentenced? uh, I think that was longer than a couple months ago, but yeah. uh, Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I just think that, uh, I don't see it in the news every day, of course, but I think that there's still some some simmering going on that will need to be worked out. You know, here's something. I'm just going to throw this out into the universe. Um, and I don't know what this says, but I'm certain it says something. Okay. Ever since I have started talking to regular normal people about their regular normal lives, okay, one of the topics that I've wanted to talk about was either interracial marriages or like interracial adoptions or just what, what the black experience would be like. Just that. Yeah. And there's just so many people that will tell me, I, I'd love to talk to you, but not on air. Huh. Yeah. Right. It's really, I don't know what that says about whatever. I'm just reporting a fact. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
So, and that still is a topic that I, you know, as of this recording, haven't actually done an episode on that Hmm. as far as, you know, interracial relationships or adoptions or whatever I've had. uh, He's a classmate of mine. I've had uh, actually two different classmates now that I think about it. Uh, But one of them is locally kind of famous as far as being a writer. And, but he was a classmate. Well, they both were, but so he talked about some of the history, uh, the 20th century history. But, you know, nobody really wants to talk about the realities of interracial, just what, what's it like to have a, a child of a different race even, which I find fascinating just in itself. Yeah, I think that it's something that we need to talk openly about uh, if we're going to find a resolution. So I I hope someone takes you up on it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I do too. I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic. There's something in the pipeline maybe, but I'm optimistic, (laughs) but yeah. Huh? And, um, anyway, so what's the biggest thing you've learned from doing a podcast? Biggest thing I've learned since doing a podcast, man, there's your, there's the right jab coming too, man. You, you hit me with all of them today. (laughs) Um, so I, I've learned quite a few things, but I think one of the biggest things I've learned from the writing community, um, uh, especially when I reach out to these uh, authors and publicists and, and publishers is that, um, you know, there's some authors who are either so uh, uh, introspective or just, you know, caught up inside themselves, introverted, I guess, that they really, you know, or or pompous that they don't want to come onto the show or talk or help or, or really, you know, assist anyone or mentor anyone. But for the most part, the writing community is is pretty supportive of itself. Uh, people want to, gen, in a general, uh, in a general style, they want people to succeed. Uh, you know, it's not a, a doggy dog type situation. At least that's what I'm learning. People are generally um, willing to help and to support uh, struggling writers or, or aspiring writers get somewhere. Um, they're generally willing to share their experiences. Um, and so, and, and I guess I just assumed that, you know, there is a competition inside writing communities that would preclude anyone doing that. And that's been, uh, that's over the last 18 months or so, that's been a huge wake up call for me to realize that, that I guess in one hand, you know, people aren't jerks as much as I think they're going to be, but also that, uh, but people are generally willing to lend a hand. It's been pretty nice. I agree. Um, I absolutely agree. It's it's amazing how nice people are. They want to come on your show. They want to talk to you. And I've had PhDs. I've had, you know, I, young people. I've had, you know, lots of folks, all different walks of life, all different things going on with them. Just, you know, and I find it humbling, honestly. 
Yeah, it's a it's a wake up call to make sure that I'm on the right side of that and make sure I'm helping people out too. So yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. I mean, like I and what I always find fascinating is one of the most fat one of the most common things that somebody will say to me is oh you wouldn't want to talk to me. Oh no, you'd want to talk to Joe or, or yeah. Sue or yeah. or Betty or whoever. No, I'm I'm just a war journalist or I'm, <laughs> I'm just a. <laughs> That's good. You know, <laughs> why would you want to talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and I'm surprised when I do have someone who's <laughs> you know got some kind of you know got a name. They're they're an established author. They'll come on and. And I'll be kind of like almost asking permission to ask questions or or to take the interview in a certain direction. And I can't remember if it was uh, C. Robert Cargill or Andy Weir, uh, two pretty good names in science fiction. One of them, I can't, maybe both of them for all that matter, uh, said, hey, man, it's your show. I'm just here for the ride. And uh, and that really freed me up to have, um, a you know, a a well-known person who should have no reason to come on my humble little show. Tell me that, uh, you know, they're just there to support me It's again, it speaks back to that idea that, the, that I've learned that writers generally aren't as jerks as, or as much jerks as I thought they'd be. You know, here's the thing I, I tell everybody. Here's the thing I tell all the podcasters off air. And I think I've said this on air a couple times. And if I have, and you've listened to my show, just bear with me, okay? So, podcatchers notoriously undercount your listens. That part I've said, okay? That part I've said on, on the show, okay? The other part that I'll say off air, especially to younger podcasters or podcasters just starting out or whatever is you have to treat everybody's podcast, including your own, as though it's Joe Rogan. Because you you don't know. You know? Yeah, that's a good way to look at that. You, you, you just don't know. I mean, and what's crazy is, like, I can, I can drag up established podcasters or quote-unquote independent podcasters or whoever and we can all sit in a room and we can all talk about little war stories we have about how you know we were here and we found a fan or we were there and we found a fan and we looked and we don't have enough listens for that in that area okay so the bottom line is nobody is telling us the truth as far as what our listeners are so just there might be a reason those authors are being nice to you, which is, you know, maybe they're told by their agents or whatever, or just common sense. You've got to treat these people like they're like, it's a big deal. <laughs> well, I can definitely tell you that they've done it. Also, I would love to find out that I accidentally have as many downloads as Joe Rogan does. That would be great. Well, I mean, I'm not saying I do, and I'm not saying whatever. I'm I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> well, it's a good reminder to uh, you know you and me and the others that go on each other's shows that you know we we're there to support whoever's the host at the time, mm -hmm. uh, not the other way around. You know, 
Absolutely. And I tell you the the reason, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, other than I'll talk to a ham sandwich on this show, honestly. But <laughs> if the ham sandwich will talk back, I'll talk to a ham there sandwich. There are days I think my IQ is running about the same. <laughs> but one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because, you know, you've talked to so many writers. And I wanted to see if there was a theme that they all say about this time we live in. You know, that's a great question. I'm going to have to keep, I'm going to have to come up with something different to say every time you ask me a question. That's a great question, but, um, uh, but I appreciate the fact you're doing it. Um, a, a theme that they see running through, uh, the that times you see, that we're not in. They see. Oh, that I see, uh, from their interviews. Huh? You know, it's interesting. I, I ask, theme on almost every episode um i'll ask the author what is the you know what's the theme of your book what and and i i go into it a little bit in asking you know what was your intended theme if you had one and what do the audiences tell you their takeaway is you know is there a theme running through your book that you didn't know was there in the beginning and not very many authors have that sometimes they'll be surprised but most of the time i mean these authors are professionals they know what they're even debut they've been through a lot of editing and they kind of know what's going on but um but an overarching theme in uh, from my perspective that's i think i'll tell you that it's authors believe they have a chance to help make a change like the these these folks they sit down they write and i guess i do too but um they believe they have an effect on society. And um, even I think even debut authors want to not just leave a mark for themselves. Uh, you know, so-and-so is the reason we're doing it this way. You know, they, they just truly believe that someone's going to read their writing and either change their mind about something or change the way they act about something or treat people differently. Um, that they have that ability to influence people in their thinking and acting. So I, I think that's what I see as a theme, if if there's anything. Yeah. I just had, uh, I think it's the last, it's either the last episode or the second to last episode I have. Uh, this author who wrote a book about Vietnam. And he said that. Like he he was trying to bring about a healing about the with the baby boomers in Vietnam. You know, that that's what he said. That's yeah, and uh, yeah. and that's and that's good. Yeah. Like I think I think it's good. It's it's not just you know because people who you know just think of writing as uh, an art or a craft. And then, you know, those who, who are out to make a name for themselves or, you know, get rich, poor devils, they're in for a rude awakening on a lot of that. But, um, you know, those those types of camps, um, I think, are on the the extreme of the writing spectrum, if you will. And I really like focusing on the people who want to influence for a reason. Now, I, I don't get into the political very often um, I'm, I'm not super interested in how people might want to uh, 
influence people politically because I think that's a that's a muddy ground to walk into uh, right now. But but people who want to change people's minds or to affect how they act, I think is pretty pretty interesting, and I think it's okay. What about? Let me ask you this: What about not change somebody's mind per se, but? Because one of the things I want to do with my podcast is just show people this is our world. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a that's another prong that I think is really good too. Like here's yeah. the here's the evidence, or not just evidence, but here's the situation. Uh, yeah, I think even going to the point of here's the situation you are going to have to decide how you feel about this, even if they don't tell them how to feel. Um, I had one author call it problematizing and I don't know how I feel about everybody, you know, making up words nowadays, but, um, but I think problematizing is not a made up word. Oh, good. That's that's good. Good. That's a Um, graduate school word. Oh, that's why I don't know it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that explains a lot about me. Um, But problematizing um, the situation that she was talking about. And so maybe not necessarily telling me exactly how I was supposed to feel about it, but telling me what the situation was and letting me know that I was going to have to make a decision about it at some point. Let me ask you a, a question. Were there, did you have a thought or a preconceived set of notions or whatever that were either changed because of your podcast or, or strengthened because of your podcast? Or to put it another way, like a part two, is, is there a thing going on in society today that you weren't even you either a weren't aware of or b you didn't think it was a big deal but now you do think it's a big deal okay i i promised i'd come up with a different way to say that's a good question uh <laughs> but i did i didn't do that yet um <laughs> um the the thing that has um become awakened in me is uh and I'll, it's a very specific topic um and that is climate change in so far as it is represented in climate fiction and i'm not sure how familiar you are with climate fiction or whatnot uh, or your listeners uh, i wasn't super in, informed about it when i first started podcasting but it's come up a couple of times and The reason that has become something that has been eye-opening to me is because I grew up in the 80s, graduate high school in the mid-90s. I grew up interested in still the Cold War Mm -hmm. and nuclear strike. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I read some nuclear fiction, uh, nuclear Holocaust fiction. and I was surprised to see or learn later through podcasting, actually, that that there were authors who believed that they had a hand in affecting the Cold War by their fiction uh, because they were showing how bad things were going to get. And um, and that, I think, is now becoming something that climate fiction writers 
are are feeling in their spirit uh, that they have again going back to that ability to at least show people the problem uh, and I think that is something that I had not fully considered before I started podcasting uh, it started interviewing authors and uh, now that I've had a couple of them on um, and seeing their desires for opening people's eyes to the situation through a medium that doesn't just shove stuff down people's throats, I think has been an interesting experience for me. Well, one of the, one of the reasons that I, I love to talk to people like normal people, like, you know, just non-celebrity type people. Right. Not, I'm not saying if you're a celebrity and you listen to this show, you can come on and we'll talk about your major motion picture or whatever. And I'm happy to do that. And I don't want to minimize that. But <laughs> um, if I'm talking to the guy, I'll just make something up. If I'm talking to a janitor or the bank teller or whatever, just a normal person with a normal job, like their their views can go either way. Like they can have idiosyncratic views, right? And they'll tell you about them. And most people are like that, right? And I've certainly had preconceived notions that I don't have anymore. Like, for example, I was not aware of just how I literally thought, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, I literally thought like we were going to close things down and the government was going to swoop in with checks for these businesses or whatever and i literally thought that and that's just not going to happen like if they tell your business to close down they're not going to come back at you with a check you know most of the time you know what i'm saying so yeah that was one of the things that i changed my mind on um something else was just the situations in different countries like venezuela um, God, you talk about climate change. I mean, I've heard without even talking about it, like without even trying to talk about it, you would talk to people about fires in California or fires in Australia or just whatever. And it's just like how, how big a deal it is with certain people with, you know, especially like if you're on, I want to say like the edge or the frontier or just like where that's starting, basically like where the process is most evident, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get you like that. Yeah. And, and I think if we, if, if, and maybe that's something that like, especially your podcast and others like you, where you're, you're trying to talk to a, a wide breadth of people, um, you know, because like people who don't live in California and don't face wildfires every, every, uh, every season, uh, and don't see ash falling on their properties all the time, you know, don't see that, that it's a big deal and that it's happening more and, and that something, you know, something yeah. needs to be at least considered here. Uh, you know, people on the you know East coast deal with more hurricanes or, and, and uh, I'm sorry, and the Gulf of Mexico, um, that people in the Midwest don't probably take cool. it seriously because they don't see it. And, and if we could get to a place probably where we, uh, yeah. 
you know, where we at least open our eyes to it, I think we'd be better off. I mean, like, we have, so I live in Georgia, we have wildfires, but we don't have, like, we have things we call wildfires, which is a far, which is a fire in a, in a wooded area that goes places and can be, and can be dangerous, right? But it's not on the order that it is out west, okay? It's not on the order of magnitude, okay, for sure. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, Yeah, I mean... And when it was a professor, he explained to me what a wildfire was, like what a California wildfire actually was in terms of lived experience. I was like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Like here, you know, oh, a fire. Okay, well, all right. Okay, let me get in my car or let me get away from this fire. Oh, look, okay. I went down to the diner down the street. We're okay now. Yay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah not like not like it, that yeah i mean it's not like i remember one year when i was stationed in san diego uh i was listening to updates on npr while i was driving home ash was ash was in the air and the npr station its substation burned down and the npr station went off the air and those are things that i did not have uh growing up in kansas you know a, a fire had never shut anything down like oh, i don't think it did anyway um, you know, those are experiences that you, you, you kind of have to yeah. just accept right. once you live it or, or have someone you can trust to tell you what the story is, I guess. There's actually a, I had a podcast guest. Um, he talked about when he moved from somewhere in the Midwest to LA, like the first, one of the first days he was there, he was taking a city bus and he saw like the the park. I forget the name of the park, but this park in L.A. It's a big park, but the park was on fire. Like the whole park was on fire. And he noticed. Like I'm the only person who notices this. Nobody else cares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh my god. But yeah. yeah. And, and there are things that, you know, I mean, I'm from the Midwest, you know, we see the storm clouds gathering, we know, you know, we take precautions against tornadoes and whatnot. And, you know, other people probably freak out about that kind of thing. Uh, it's, you know, overseas, I remember my first, uh, you know, earthquake in Japan. And, you know, I mean, it, it was a wild experience and no one else really seemed to be too concerned about it, you know, because it wasn't a horrible one, you know. Um, and I don't know, I, I hope I haven't taken us too far off track. I just think it's interesting that, uh, you know, we, especially in our country, we live in such a huge country mm-hmm. that if we're not careful to at least open our mind enough that, you know, even if I don't think wildfires, for example, are the end of the world, it is for several people who have their properties burned down. You know, it's, it's a big deal. And, yeah. uh, that's just an example, of course. Well, the greatest thing, the greatest thing about this free range conversation, these free range podcasts, the the coolest thing about them is there is no track. (laughs) That's good for a guest like me because my mind gets a little scattered sometimes. And sometimes they don't make the internet and sometimes they do. Sometimes it's like there was a couple of them. I was telling somebody today, there was a couple of them I've done that were like really good, like really, really, really good that I'll stand by forever where I'm like, I guarantee you when we, when both of us got up this morning, 
neither one of us thought we were going to talk about our 9-11 memory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, it's good stuff. I guarantee you that. Um, which I've detected that you and I are around the same age. So would you mind telling me your 9-11 memory? Uh, I will. I do not mind telling you my 9-11 memory. I uh, woke up on board USS Mobile Bay, uh, a cruiser, a Navy cruiser. I was in the Navy at the time, and mm-hmm. I'd just been married for just shy of a year. And uh, I woke up after having the midnight uh, technical watch, uh, maintenance watch. Um, when one of the people cleaning our birthing said something like, uh, you know, I can't believe a plane just hit a building. And I, I woke up, you know, I was kind of groggy, I'm sure. And I just thought, oh, some little Cessna ran into a, a building. This isn't that, you know, whatever. I wish they'd kind of be quiet and let me get back to sleep. And, uh, you know, when, when enough chatter happened, I, I got up and, and I, you know, ambled over to the to the TV and, and sure enough, you know, the first images of nine 11 were, you know, right there on the TV screen. And shortly after that, um, we didn't go to battle stations. Uh, it wasn't a full alert, but we did flex the, uh, air defense team, which I was a part of at the time. And so, um, and of course communications got shut down because we went, uh, you know, into defense mode. And so I, I think it was a good couple of days before my wife and I were able to talk to each other and uh, make sure that she was okay, she making sure I was okay, and it was a couple of weeks after that before we saw each other again. So um, I, I lived an interesting few weeks there right after 9-11. Um, you know, manning radar watches and technical watches where the radar screens were completely empty except for air defense fighters over major cities like LA and San Francisco. And it was, it was surreal. Um, you know, these cities that have hundreds of airplanes over them at any time. And, you know, and there's a handful of aircraft flying, uh, air defense. It's pretty weird. How about you? My nine 11 memory. Um, I was making movies then. And I had woken up. I I woke up. I got over to the edit situation. Um, and I I went. I started editing because I'm a I'm addicted to caffeine. So I knew if I wanted to start editing, I had to start and then get the caffeine right. So I I got started and then i ed- i w- rambled over to the coke machine and so the coke i'm going to date myself here the coke was 75 cents okay for a two 20 ounce bottle right yep so i put in one quarter and i put in two quarters okay and that's weird even just using quarters right we use yeah. credit cards yeah. now, right? Yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there was a television on, and somebody said, um, a plane hit the Twin Towers. And, oh, like, I, I'm like you. I thought it was a Cessna, right? 
Um, and I remember looking at, I remember looking at the television and like a fire. And then I put, okay, I put one quarter in and then I put another quarter in. And then that same person who shall remain nameless because I don't want to drag him into this podcast unnecessarily. But this same person just had this face like he was in terror. Like when I think of what a face in terror looks like, that's what I think of is his face, right? Because he saw the second plane hit. And then I don't know if I saw a replay, like an immediate replay of it or what, but then I saw it. Okay. Well, so that after that morning, I, I saw angles, camera angles that I've never seen before or since, you know, years later, like, and I've seen stuff that was pretty crazy. You know, like, you could see, like, the face of a man looking down on the plane as it crashes into the building. You know? I've never seen that picture since then. Right? But there it is. <laughs> um, I saw people jump out of the Twin Towers. Like, crazy, crazy stuff. But... I remember, like, we were closed down after that for, I, don't, I forget how many days, but it, it was a while. I remember, like, three, there was, like, a day, maybe two days, maybe three. I know at least a whole day that I was laying, like, on the couch watching the TV. And then the second day, <laughs> and then... A friend of mine came by and said, you, you didn't even get the other, put the other quarter in. <laughs> yeah, that's the, wild. For the Coke. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you'd done that. No, no. <laughs> but uh, so, and the crazy thing to me is like, so I went later on in my life, I, I went back to college. And I would meet kids that in college that didn't think 9-11 happened. Like, they didn't think it was real. Like, they thought the U.S. government fired missiles into the Twin Towers or something. And I looked at them and I said, look, I, was, I wasn't there. Yeah. But I certainly saw it on TV. Yeah. I certainly saw it live. <laughs> it wasn't a missile. <laughs> it was an airplane. Yeah. And uh, I remember I had bought tickets um, for a, a sporting event. And I didn't know if it was even safe to go. Because, mm -hmm. you know, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go because if you're going to die in a bomb, you're going <laughs> to yeah. die. Yeah. You know, but... You know, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, like, interesting is the wrong word, but one of the stories I'll never forget in my life is my, 
my 9-11 story. You know, uh, as we hit uh, 20 years recently, uh, I was asked by my uh, supervisor to share my story. Um, you know, and even in the military, there aren't that many of us around still that were there that day. Uh, or we're in the military that day. And I'm surprised, and I, I want to know how you think about this too, the number of people who weren't born uh, that I work with who not just were too young at the time to have a shared memory, but weren't alive yet. Um, and it blows my mind. I don't know what the World War II generation was like when the boomers started coming and, you know, people who didn't have their shared experience of Pearl Harbor, but it's been a wild experience telling these, and I, I don't mean to use kids the wrong way. I get it. You know what I'm saying though? It's like, yeah, um, it. this is the, you know, how do you, what do you mean you don't know what it was like? This was the defining moment of my generation, you know? And, uh, and, and I, and I have to just realize, Hey, these kids weren't alive, man. Calm down. Uh, you know, and maybe COVID is theirs. I don't know. So um, here's my take. Um, I, you know, I, I've dealt with archival stuff for years. Um, and I've certainly seen the oral histories of people that went through the Holocaust, the people that went through the Dust Bowl, people that went through this and that, and you know, this big thing, that big thing, the other big thing, you know. First of all, Every generation in the day and age of mass media, okay, now that we all live in the era of mass media for like the last hundred and something years, okay, comfortably the last hundred and something years, arguably you could go back to maybe the Civil War, okay, with the printing, you know, with the printing press, we're all going to go through some sort of shared generational trauma, okay. Probably a lot of them. All right. Um, I think every generation has a take, has a thing where they're like, wow, you know, this, this generation here didn't go through that. Right. Um, I'm not as creeped out by that as I am the, the people who didn't think it happened. Yeah, you know I haven't, I haven't, uh, and I'll say it, you know, kindly, I haven't had the privilege of meeting somebody that, who doesn't believe it happened. I, uh, I've heard cover up stories. I haven't heard one that says it never happened, period. Well, not that it never happened, but that it was the government. Oh know, yeah, so. that it was, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, yeah. it was, you know, an, an attack to probably what, create the war or something. I don't know what their, what their game yeah, plan is. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, that's pretty wild. Those creep me. Those like legitimately creep me out. Like I'm, I get creeped out just even thinking about that stuff. Uh, but you know, um, my take is that that's just a function of getting older. You know, and and you know, I have a feeling that other things are going to happen, and and we're going to remember that. You know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, I, you know, I personally, I've been in the middle of some stuff, not that was huge, but locally, 
some things that would have happened locally that people had heard about, you know, and it was crazy how like I could even go to a whole other part of my state and people who didn't even know me. Oh, you were there for that? Oh my God, that's insane. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, it was like a there was a demonstration or something that I was just basically in the middle of, not by choice, that you know, just sort of happened around me. <laughs> you know, but it's weird how year two years later I could even hear about it from other people. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. Um, but what's your take on so what's your take on those kids? Like do you do you just think does it blow your mind that they're not they weren't alive for that or uh, yeah, and you know, I don't know why I think of it that way necessarily, because I have children myself. Uh, I have an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 9-year-old, and obviously they weren't alive for it. Um, but I guess I just assume, you know, that because I'm in the Navy, and because I was in the Navy at the time, and because I'm leading young adults who are in the Navy, I guess I, my mind just didn't make the transition to them you know that that at some point probably in the last 10 years yeah. people stopped you know the number of people who had that understanding who were old enough to know what it looked like with those towers falling you know started to drop off you know exponentially you know and and to where they're now not old enough to or haven't even been alive for it so um you know it's just i think it kind of caught me unawares that that was going that i guess i'm that old to be honest with you that uh you know that you know uh it's not just my knees trying to tell me that now you know my culture and society is too but uh you know it's just been eye-opening it's been a you know realization that i i i guess this is probably and i i did listen to a lot of the episode uh with the vietnam vet that you had on that you know and my grandfather's generation that fought World War II, I think, you know, we need to get these these stories out. We need people to hear this stuff because we're now at the tipping point where more people are going to be alive that never knew what 9-11 looked like um, compared to the people who did. You know what I mean? You, I didn't know this going in, ladies and gentlemen, but you are somebody that I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Um, not military service but the fact that you work with young people what is that like like what are these young people like um well they're just like i was 20 years ago to be honest with you um and, and i i say that a little tongue-in-cheek because i want to claim that i was a better person than i see some of these kids being um i'll yell at them <laughs> Or I'll discipline them. Uh, you know, we're in the military. It's hierarchical structure still. Uh, you know, we, we don't have complete horizontal leadership like a lot of uh, civilian um, organizations do. Um, you know, there's still a pretty, you know, tiered structure level uh, or tiered level structure. Um, okay. You know, so I can, I, I dish out discipline. I dish out counselings. I dish out, uh, you know, stern talking tos. Um, and then I sit down sometimes and I'll be like, I need to 
take that back a little bit. That's exactly what I did when I was 20 or, you know, 25 <laughs> or, you know, or, or yeah, he doesn't see the big picture, but, but did I at 22, you know? And so I think it's been, and, and the answer is no, I didn't, I didn't have the big picture when I was 22. I mean, I didn't when I was 32. And so, uh, I, I really only finding true understanding and even fulfillment in my late thirties and early forties. Uh, so why am I expecting 22 year olds to get it, you know? And so I think that's been the thing, you know, when you ask, you know, what's it like, it's been seeing myself and these kids and, and trying to be a little more patient. Yeah. I mean, there's been some people that I've spoken to through my podcast where I'm just like, man, like emotionally or whatever, you're like light years ahead of where I was when I was your age. Like Jesus, right? Yeah. But then I think about, well, also you're growing up in an insane air in an insane environment. Like you're coming of age in a totally insane environment. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So, but you know, I mean, so you're saying you've got some timeless issues as far as like, you know, with the kids yeah but like is there anything they're doing that we weren't doing like any huh with the technology or with the yeah i think uh the instantaneous nature of their communication and their uh knowledge i mean uh i think i've i've heard people talk about it before where you know i i'm still working off of you know google search and um, and, and honestly, a printed out book uh, to, to get a lot of my information. And there's, they pull up their, they, you know, pull their phone out of their pocket and, and just, you know, uh, however they're getting it. And then, and just tell me what my own answer is. And it's like, I, I think that the speed of their communication and the speed of knowledge transfer is something that while we, I think, could have taken advantage of in our youth. We, we didn't because we didn't have it. I was, I mean, I thought info search and, and, uh, you know, internet and, uh, and high school was cool, you know, in the nineties. And so I remember info search. Yeah. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, for debate team and whatnot. And so, um, you know, and I, I remember, you know, cutting and pasting like with actual paste, uh, you know, arguments for my debate team, um, <gasps> and briefings and, and whatnot. And, you know, and, uh, and 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 the generation that's coming up now doesn't do that you know they they don't have to hunt for an episode or not episode but a, a an issue of newsweek they just pull it up on their phone and tell me what it is you know or like and they so, might not even they might not even do newsweek they might uh read or they might watch some dude on youtube which yeah has mixed results or they might read some blog again, mixed results, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think uh, Wikipedia is part of that too, but uh, yeah. not that they are bad in and of themselves. They are, they just need to be the, the uh, not really a starting point, but a, a, a jumping off point to go get 
the truth. I think it's like, uh, you know, there's a reason professors don't allow Wikipedia as your source material. But if you look at Wikipedia and you <laughs> see the sources that those people used, go to those sources and then look it up for real. You and know, um, the, go ahead. I just have a story about Wikipedia. Or oh, I'd want to, I want to hear that. Two stories about Wikipedia. So the way I even heard about Wikipedia at all was this professor that I used to have said, do not use Wikipedia as a source over and over again. So that's how I learned what Wikipedia was, right? But then I went to it because I'd never heard of it. <laughs> so I went to it. And two things. The the article in the British Empire, like I, I was a little tipsy at the time, but even I at being tipsy, I could be like, yeah, that's wrong. That part's wrong. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that part's wrong. But then because all things with me lead back to Metallica, <laughs> I, I, I Googled. I, as I, they I, should, wait, by the way, as, as they, should. they should, as they should. Yes. 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 Um, so I, um, I put Metallica in Wikipedia. I was blown away. Whoever wrote that Wikipedia article that I read about Metallica obviously knew those people. <laughs> obviously had some kind of connection to those people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I'm not going to throw Wikipedia under the bus, but I'm not going to say it's definitive either. No, it's not. But but I if, if it's a well-sourced <laughs> article in Wikipedia, I do think you can use it as a, you know, jumping off point. Uh, I've done that. And so, you know, yeah. then I find out what source material I should be using and then I go look for that. But that's all stuff we didn't have in our generation, you know, and we so absolutely didn't. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, just the speed of, you know, communication and knowledge transfer is something that this generation has. And, and maybe the generation, the I, I get lost on all the generations because that's also something that seems to be happening more frequently is, you know, we we break off a, a generation quicker than I think we used to. But. I think we're in Z now. Yeah. Think, so, I think, yeah. I think uh, we're in Z. That may be true. So them yeah. and the and the millennials to a, a certain degree as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing this knowledge, uh, the speed of knowledge transfer take effect. And then I think nowadays it's, it's just an assumed, right? That, that, you know, uh, hey, Warren, just pull out your phone. And the answer's right there. And and I'm still making phone calls on my phone. You know, people don't do that very much anymore either, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I. it's funny because I'm a podcaster that talks to people. So what I've noticed is like with my friends and stuff, I'll, I'll have to specify. Like, I want to talk to you over the phone app bundled on the phone. Yeah. So yeah. like not, like not Facebook Messenger, like not... <laughs> Yep. You know? Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed this uh, in podcasting. Uh, I have. Uh, and just I've also noticed this happen depending on the age of the guests that I have on the show. I don't know if you have or not, but like uh, the types of things that or uh, that they want to talk and the way they want to talk is differentiated by the generation that they are. Okay. Uh, please, please zoom in on that. That's okay. Yeah. I think uh, so. Like. I had um, a couple of uh, young ladies on recently, and I could see the fire and the passion in their their topic. And it was science fiction, but it was you know the the the, 
topic behind the topic as it were. Um, and I, and I saw that fire and I remember having that fire uh-huh. once, you know, where I was going to take on the world and it was, you know, and, and make it bow to my needs and my desires, um, yeah. compared to an older established author who knows his or her place, um, and isn't super interested in making people believe them that they're there. You know what I mean? And so I think that it's, it's probably again, stuff that I did as a kid that I wanted, you know, I had that fire once and now I just, I kind of know who I am better and I don't feel I need to prove it as often. Does that make sense? It does. I had a podcast guest, um, that I really wish I'd been able to, there were, I'll tell you, I, I released it. I'll tell you who it was. It was, uh, Sean, or at least he told me his name was Sean, but he lived in China. And there's things I'm not going to say on the air, but even as we were talking, there were things I was like, there's a story here that I'm not getting. Like there's a whole side to this story that he's deliberately not telling me. And I wish I wish I could just stop the recording and just so he could just tell me what really happened, like what all happened. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like you know. Um you know, and there's been some others, but that's the one that made the air that I really wish man, like I wish I had the whole story. Yep. Yeah, I understand. And and I want and doubling back to it, like I'm glad those people have that fire and that passion. I don't want to take away from that. Um yeah. and I don't want to say like as soon as they mature, they won't feel that desire anymore. You know, there's a reason the youth are the ones that make changes in society. But um, but I just noticed that there is that difference and and you know, for all I know, that fellow who came on your show, that was as much as he could give at the time, you know what I mean? Oh, I know I I know for a fact that was <laughs> I I was shocked that he was actually on my show. And I remember yeah. asking him at the end, like I'm asked him off there. Are you, are you sure you want me to release this? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Good to go. <laughs> yeah. And I even, I even titled it like, so he'd be anonymous, but he didn't want to be anonymous. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'm trying to help you, but Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for him. You know. Uh yeah. Yeah. And um anyway, so um I don't know, like what what are some issues that you think these these young people are gonna have to are gonna solve or not solve later? You know, that's uh that's good too. I think it uh one of them is gonna come back to racial and or gender inequality. Um, Mm. Sadly, I think they're going to find when they get to, I hate to say when they get to my age, but uh, when they get (laughs) to my age and past, they're going to realize that there's still a lot on the table that they didn't, you know, despite their efforts and despite the fire, they didn't get finished. And, you know, hopefully other, you know, they'll be looking, they'll have a conversation in 20 years like you and I are having 
and they'll say, what do you think the next generation is going to have to do? You know? And so I, I do think that they will deal with that. I don't think they will finish it. I think, um, international, um, power is going to keep being a problem that they're going to have to deal with. And I also don't think they're going to get to that one either. Um, I think they will make some inroads, however, on people getting a fair shake, if I can say that. And I don't mean to cheapen it by doing it that way, but like, even though I don't think they'll fix Mm. uh, racial inequalities or gender inequalities, I think that they might get to a place where um, it'll, it'll be more fair than it is today. Yeah, at least that's yeah. my hope. Like, I I think, I mean, I look around at the, the people I serve with, and it's definitely a more diverse group than it was when I joined. And so I think even in the generation that that I came up with, we made inroads. Um, we, you know, I think yeah. our time is nearing its, you know, conclusion as far as the ability to make changes, but... Um, but there is a more diverse group and I think that they can go further and make it a more level playing field. See, I think the, I kind of think the opposite because like I see medicine today and like, I look at old people now are not the same as old people like 30 years ago. Right. Health wise or whatever. Yep, Yep. So, I kind of think the opposite. I think now you're going to have something you never used to have before. You're going to have like people in their forties with youthful energy, but they're in their forties. So they have the experience, they have the knowledge, but they still have this youthful energy. Right. Just saying, man, I hope that's true. Like, I mean, I, I have more energy after a nap, Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not to joke about it too much, but like, I, I would love to have, and maybe it'll be part of our generation, but definitely the next. I can see that where you, yeah. you know, the, the old adage, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Maybe it won't be that way anymore because uh, in your older years with the experience, yeah. you'll have the ability to do it. That'd be cool. It's like, it's like, uh, so I remember I was a small time journalist during the 2008 crash, you know, uh, real estate crash. Yeah. So, like, I look at Bitcoin, or not Bitcoin, I look at NFTs, and during the 2008 crash, I learned, I literally learned, I'm a smart man, okay? I learned, I'm a smart man. If I can read something and study it and read it and study it and understand it and still think this is a scam, it's a scam, right? Yep. so you know what i'm saying so the hand waving doesn't work for me yeah like you know what i'm saying so if you tell me something and i'm like okay yeah i i get it that we all want to live in the jetsons or star trek but i don't think that's real like i don't think nfts are you know i think it's either going to be the biggest scam ever made or something i truly don't understand Yep. I agree with you. I I had to have my kids explain it to me in the first place because I didn't understand what it was. Uh, And I just don't see what the real value is. Uh, I, I, I caveat that with, I, I am older. Maybe I'm not going to understand it, but I don't understand where the value is. 
Well, as soon as I understood Bitcoin for real, I understood that it had some value somewhere, right? That's the difference, right? As soon as I understood what Bitcoin was, I was like, okay, I, I get that. Do I think it's going to replace money? No, okay. But I do think it's going to have value. But NFTs, I just don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, I also uh, don't know. That's uh, that's what, yeah. something I haven't figured out yet. Yeah. Um, I, there's a question I want to ask you. But being as you are who you are, you might not be able to tell me. <laughs> mm. Mm. Only so one way to find out. Which is so interesting. Um, without delving into military secrets, <laughs> what do you think America? What do you think the U.S. and China relationship is going to be? Oh man, uh, uh, I actually gonna... like. There's no secrets to divulge because I don't know. Uh, I'm <laughs> happy, and I'm happy I don't know. Um, uh, early on in my training. Uh, Back in the 90s, um, I don't know that I perceived China as a threat. You know, they've come a long way in 20 years, even though I know they've been building for a long time. And so, uh, you know, and and I know our economies are way more linked than, you know, back in the Cold War with Soviets. Um, uh-huh. So I don't know if that'll keep us from going to blows. I don't, I don't know if they're going to just accept Taiwan as a kind of a stalemate. Or if they are someday going to go get it, um, you know, and I don't know what we'll do in response to that. Uh, I'm happy that I don't know those answers. I, um, I can tell you it's part of my, my, I think about it a lot and I pray about it a lot because I, mm. I've, especially as I interview authors from, uh, who have an Asian ancestry, mm. Mm. um, you know, I care about that region deeply. And I was stationed in Japan for a few years. I care about that region deeply, but I am glad I am not the decision maker, if that helps you with an answer at all. Well, I mean, there's some of that. China fascinates me as a, as a topic and a place and historically and down the road we go, right? And I mean, I guess the to boil it down, I mean, what do you think about Chinese technology in the home, like TCL TVs, OnePlus phones, that kind of thing? You, you know, I uh, I was against it for a long time. I'm as I, I say that as I look at my docking station, that's definitely a Chinese docking station, and so I guess if they want my traffic, they can have it. But yeah. uh, it, the part of it was a realization that I I don't do any work on my home computer. Uh, so there's no, you know, military stuff that they can take if they wanted to. Um, and I'm not a very interesting person. And I don't have a whole lot of money. So um, I'm not too concerned about having Chinese uh, technology myself. I do have a computer made in Taiwan, and that is a personal choice um, yeah. uh, for some of those reasons. But, uh, but I'm not super concerned okay. personally. Well, Dan, uh, thank you so much, and I think we've done it. I think we've done the holy grail of having an episode that doesn't have to be edited.
Yay. <laughs> well, I hope you got what you needed, man. I, it's been fun being here. I've enjoyed this talk. I, I've enjoyed having you. And uh, all right, hang on. We're gonna. I'm going to download this sucker, and I'm going to need you to stick around. Yeah, no problem.